Tukuna mai he kapunga one one kiau, hei tangi. Send me a handful of soil that I may weep over it. Tēnei te mihi ki a koutou katoa, nau mai haramai, nau mai piki mai ki tēnei hotaka a te ahi kā. Ko Justin Murray, ahau. Ko Maraia Rakuraku tēnei, and you're back with the ahi kā Radio New Zealand's Kaupapa Māori program. That's te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Before we catch up with some of the post-Waitangi Day activities... I'm with an artist in the studio doing his thing. Lewis Gardner is coming up. And a marae just out of Hastings is a reminder of how whare tipuna hold more than just ceremonial roles but are of a practical nature too. People lived in here. That's I why can see that. That's, I can see by that, the size. That, that's why, you know, we don't have any tapu things here. We can eat food inside and all that because people lived in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk about a return home that's been a long time coming. Justine catches up with the Hira Keke Hiriwini, who holds a significant role at Te Papa Tongarewa as a result of events that took place well over two centuries ago. The thing about repatriation, or um, I think Māori do it all the time, because when Māori live in different parts of the country or even overseas and they pass away, the whānau goes and collects them. So this is similar. This, to me, is similar, that... Um, the whānau from New Zealand went over to France, picked up the two pun the ancestors and brought them home. So to me it's, it's similar to the process that goes on throughout the country, you know, every day around the Tangihana process. Stay locked in, that's Te Ahikā for the next 50 or so minutes. Every Waitangi Day, talk of New Zealand's need for a constitution comes around, and this year was no different. Despite it being the monarch's diamond jubilee, because like Australia, New Zealand isn't a republic and still very much part of the Commonwealth. As consultation takes place around the country between Māori and the Crown regarding the partial state-owned asset sales, constitutional talk has become heightened. Manu Korehi reporter Rosemary Rangitawira recorded this for us when she caught up with Iwi Chair's foreign member and academic Margaret Mutsu at Waitangi earlier this week. When the announcement was made by the Crown that Section 9 of the State-Owned Enterprises Act was going to be repealed by the Crown, the response of the Iwi Chair's forum was immediate and reflective and inevitably brings up the old-age question, does New Zealand need a constitution? One thing that we knew we all had to discuss, but we in fact didn't spend a, a long time on it, was the announcement by the government that they're about to try and repeal Section 9 of the State-Owned, State-owned Enterprises Act. Unanimous that that cannot be done. It must not be done. Uh, you, you can't uh, repeal Section 9. You can strengthen it, but you cannot take it out You cannot take out the fact that government and the country is bound by te tiriti or waitangi because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to extinguish the treaty and it cannot be done and that will be the clearest message. Do not go interfering with agreements that were reached by previous leaders, Māori and Pākehā leaders coming to an agreement. Do not unilaterally attempt to overturn it you will create a huge upheaval in Maoridom. It's just not worth it. But what was so lovely about the talk there was that people recalled the history of Section 9 of the Act and those leaders of our people who are now no longer with us, who were the architects of that and the agreement, the very solemn agreement they reached with the government of the day. So this government is now attempting to break that agreement and that promise from David Longy uh, that was encapsulated in Section 9 of the Act. Now, of course, we also recalled the fact that after Section 9 was put into the Act, subsequently there was the famous lands case that was taken and counsel there was David Baragwanath and the Chief Justice from now, Sean Elias. And we spoke with fondness of the work of those two and how that in winning the lands case we were able to get sections 27b in particular into the Act which allows the Tribunal to order the return of lands to Māori if a claim is upheld over them. 
So the conclusion of that discussion was under no circumstances whatsoever can the Crown uh, take out Section 9. The only thing that can be done is that Section 9 can be strengthened and really must be strengthened. Why? Sir Happy Tehu, who led that de delegation to David Longy, was that the resources, the land, the waters, and all the other assets that are held by those state-owned enterprises, Māori are the legitimate owners of almost all of that. Now, that's the reason why that is Section 9 is in the Act. It gave the Crown the opportunity to act honourably in respect of the treaty and return those assets to Māori. It gave them time to do it. Now, they've had 25 years, so what they need to be doing is returning those assets and stop pussyfooting around and pretending that there's something other than what they are. We need to sort out the constitutional arrangements in this country properly, that we don't have a written constitution uh, which ensures that Māori do have our human rights and our rights under titiriti upheld. So that underpins just about all the discussions that we have uh, in National Iwi Chairs Forum. And so on just about every topic, the, the speaker will refer to the fact that the constitutional matters need to be sorted. So what is a constitution? A constitution is just a set of rules that you're all prepared to live by. That's all it is. There's, there's nothing complicated about a constitution. So that's the first thing we want to get out there, that it is just a simple set of rules that you want to live by. And don't get hung up on all the very technical argument that tends to surround the notion of a constitution, because our tikanga, our kawa on the marae is constitution. Mm. So we ask our people to think in that frame, and then ask them to think about the depth of meaning of Te Hakaputanga, the 1835 Declaration of Independence, and Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the 1840 Agreement between us and the Crown. And what those documents actually said in terms of setting out what the baselines are for this country, and that is that it is a Māori country, and that the mana and the tinoranga tiratanga does lie with the hapu around the country and then when you came to accommodating the English in particular when they came here the agreement was that the English would look after their lawless citizens who were running amok in the country but Māori would still remain as overall authority for the country. So those are the fundamentals that underpin uh, our country. We will take that out to the people and say, now, how do you see this? Uh, how do you see this carrying us on into the future where the power and the ability of Māori to ensure that this country does have a good and viable future that includes everybody is put in place? Yeah. So we're having that conversation with our people first, and then when we finish that, we bring it back to the um, Iwi Chairs Forum and decide at what stage we will consider talking to the representatives of Pākehā, who are the, the parliamentarians. And what role does the Treaty of Waitangi play in the mix? Um, the Treaty of Waitangi, even though it's uh, you know known in this country, the document itself, which we often refer to as Te Tiriti o Waitangi, because Māori signed the Māori version. The, the English one was never actually signed at Waitangi. It wasn't even discussed. It's just something that hangs off the side and has no standing whatsoever. So that document, as sacred and as important it is to this country, is not actually recognised in any legislation whatsoever. We do not have a written constitution in this country that protects the human rights, in particular, of every citizen of this country. And that has proved to be very, very difficult for Māori. And the United Nations, on several occasions now, has highlighted the fact that Māori human rights in this country are very, very insecure because there is no written constitution that protects it. And even when you go before the courts, because those rights are not protected in the legislation, 
Māori find themselves with no human rights backing even in the court system in this country. While Crown consultation with Māori takes place around the country, have the Iwi Chairs Forum made similar plans? Yes, um, we brought before the hui this time the fact that we needed to go around the country and meet with iwi in each of the regions. Now we put that to the forum this time and absolutely unanimous, yes please, get on the road. Get this talk organised around the country. But what was also very good was leaders were pour- the chairs were reporting back to us that the conversation has already started in several of the regions. So in my region, in Te Hekoateka, in Ngaitahu, the kōrero is going on, it's going on in several of the iwi who are currently embattled with the Crown and understand that constitutional transformation is fundamental to fixing this up. So for us to go and say to them, can we please come to you in February, to you in March, to you in May, was just, ai tautoko, kia hora, hurry up. Hurry up and come and talk to us. <laughs> Each of the areas is coming to us now and saying, when are you coming to our area? Can we please decide a date? Yes, 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 we'll. So that, that's, all being, that's all happening now. And finally, where does all of this leave the Iwi Chairs Forum? State assets can be um, passed over. I mean, the Crown will do what it likes anyway, but they cannot pass an inconsistent responsibility under Tetiriti to someone else. Uh, you know, to remove it effectively means, well, you can forget about the, uh, the fact that this country is a Māori country and you can treat it like um, it's just a money uh, and that there is no other consideration. And that's what we're saying is that you cannot do that. Uh, this country is still a Māori country. You are here under the mana of Māori and Māori will determine the future of this country. In the, for the benefit of everybody. Kia ora, Margaret Mutsu, nō Ngāti Kahu, Te Rārua, Ngāti Whātua. Now, to rehear that kōrero, you can at our website, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahikā, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. At any market anywhere around the country, there will be a stall selling repurposed woolen blankets as cushions or softies, stuffed animals, generally with various images representing aspects of kiwiana, like caravans, tractors, koru, kiwi. And these days it seems to be the turn of tiki. Shava hei tiki on a woolen blanket. Sell it for $100. Another example is tāmoko, kiritsuhi, the same designs and appearance but with no whakapapa, like we see tattooed on pop stars. So is what we're experiencing an over-commercialisation of culture or commerce being culturalised? Now that's just one of the questions I put to artist and carver Lewis Gardner when I met with him in his Rotorua studio. We are sitting in what you affectionately call... The dungeon. <laughs> and it literally is a dungeon, isn't it? It's, the... it's, it's not bad. It's actually a really, really good workspace from the point of view of creating things. We're not in the public limelight, so we just basically, you know, no holds barred. We can do whatever work we want. You know what, though? It doesn't seem like much air would circulate around in here. Windows. Oh, yeah. And how many stations are there set up here? Six stations of full-time seated carvers. And I can see set up at each station as a light, some water. Because with the Po number we need a water supply. Um, mine's probably the messiest in here. So. You need good light. And then around, dotted around, uh, Pieces, bits of Po Namu, yep. bone. Well, particularly myself, I work on a wide variety of materials. Um, po Namu being the first, um, playing around with a little bit of um, Onewa stone, grey gray wacky stone. Um, a bit of bone, a bit of ivory, a uh, bit of corian, a um, bit of glass, so a bit of everything. So fundamentally with us carving um, ponamu, we can sort of carve most other materials because the skill, the skill levels are, um, are pretty much the same and we can sort of always go back to, to ponamu. We can just pretty much carve everything because the ponamu is so hard that once you go to other materials, they're very soft. Right, so ponamu is the hardest thing that you can carve near? Um, there are other things, but um, ponamu has has a has a quite a, a strong um, it has a hardness, but also it's quite strong. So in the things of uh, durability of the stone, the stone's actually actually quite quite 
quite strong so you can carve very sort of fine points and little fine edges and stuff and the stone will hold it and hold together it won't sort of just flake off or break and was, so what I'm looking at looks like a to me it looks like a dentist drill yeah um, we, we run a, a, a variety of machinery in here we run ear driven micro grinders what we call micro grinders um, we also run like jewelers uh, Finks machines which are electric run uh, and micro grinders are run on compressed air um, so basically they have, have quite a high speed that's so fast that I can't actually even see it moving they sort of have a speed of about 65,000 RPM, so, you know, a rotation of 65,000 reads per minute. Um, the jewellers one is a little bit slower. That only sort of runs about uh, 14,000 RPM. So we tend to use this one more for... Oh, just turn it on. A bit noisy because it's got a bit of things on it. But, but the speed of that one we mostly use for sort of like um, bulking out and a lot of finishing work and stuff. What do you mean by bulking out? Um, just getting the rough shape of things. So we get the rough oh, shape, right. and then we get into more sort of refined tools and smaller tools with our basically our um, air-driven microgrinder. So um, most people at some shape and form have seen an old Heituki design. Um, generally, they are about 80 mils to 120 mils average. So what size is that? Is it about um, four, four to six inches? So sort of, sort of in that sort of area, mainly sort of about yeah, probably four inches, five inches. Uh, there are some bigger ones that are six inches. Now, if you sort of take those into account with, with our equipment and our machinery, um, there are time restraints. We sort of only allowed X amount of time per piece, but something like that would take a, a very quick carver, probably two days to do. Jeez, yeah. from start to finish. Start to finish, and, and that's sort of, you know, really pushing it. Um, however, traditionally, you know, we, we're talking about many thousands of hours, so, so the, the process with the modern tooling has definitely sped it up. The thing with the Heitiki though is there's no shortcuts in finishing, so a lot of the process that you're doing with the Heitiki and finishing is very, very similar to the old ways, which is a lot of what we call hand rubbing or hand stoning. The only difference now is we use a finishing stone, which is a man-made product, which is which is kind of um, it's, it's very much like the old sandstone that used to be used, where you just have a variation of different grits, and we just run through the grits. So, so like the old ways, where they would have used different types of sandstone. Start with a coarser one, rub it, then start with a, then go to a smoother one and a smoother one until eventually they. So get for the, a layperson, this would be a little bit like sandpaper. Uh, very much like sandpaper. Um, same kind of same job. sort of process, okay. uh, but just takes takes a lot longer. You know, just just uh, very very sort of labour intensive and very very slow. I guess results. those are the times that you're learning those karakia that go on for five hours. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if if you can handle that stuff, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, when you were going through your training, were you learning traditional styles? Um, not, not necessarily. Um, I probably, um, because I'm a, I, I graduated from Wairiki in 1994, and we concentrated more on the contemporary Māori art form. Uh, back then it was called a Diploma in Craft, craft and Design Māori. Uh, that was under the uh, tutorage of um, main, main ones there were Ross Himura, um, uh, Christina... Um, Woody Hanna. Woody um, Lionel Grant, so so they, there was some sort of association there at that point. Uh, however, what I found was once I graduated from Waiariki, um, everything sort of got stripped right back, so I uh, went back to more of the traditional form, the traditional design, uh, started there and, and, and get a, a basic um, understanding of the traditional forms and then start redeveloping from there. So, so, you know, there's always the point to start from. With the Polytech, it was already kind of out there because at that time our mentors and our um, and our influencers are already contemporary artists, so they had already taken certain forms and already you know sort of pushed them out or developed them. And so, like as a student, of course you sort of mimic what your environment you're in. And so, I sort of found that for for me to sort of find my own style, and then I had to sort of step back and then strip it back and then start again. So, so that was probably five years after I left there, just, just relearning all that stuff. You're based in Rotorua. Yep. Now, is there any denying that there's such a long whakapapa of amazing carvers that have come from Te Arua? Has that had an influence on your work? In, in some shape or form, uh, yes, definitely, because what it does is it actually it leaves a, a rich history um, of of 
you know, probably the, the starting point really is, is when you go back to um, marae or meeting houses. So that, that already leaves a, a imprint on, on, the, on the, the cultural or the artistic basin of Lutaru anyway. So there's, there's always that reference point. Um, but I think, I think um, over the years, though, um, you know, not only having your own rich history within your own area, you're still looking out as well, so so I think nationally too, you know, you, you you kind of need to look in all facets of particularly Māori design, particularly Māori sculpture, particularly Māori art, because there's so many interesting angles, and it's not always just located here. So it's about it's about sort of opening up, and and then on another point too, rather than just sort of narrowing down to national and contemporary Māori, there's other cultures throughout the world, like world that yeah, yeah. So there's other things internationally that that also influence you in some shape or form. How do you keep your work fresh? I mean, at the moment, I'm noticing that there seems to be hay tiki on everything. <laughs> I'm seeing them on yep. placemats and artworks. I mean... The, yeah, the hay tiki... Um, but the hay tiki, though, to me personally, is a um, is, is still a very, very good form. And, and the reason why I say it's still a very, very good form is because hay tiki... I just like me personally. I describe Haitiki like humans or, or people. Uh, fundamentally, proportions are kind of all the same. But but in reality, in, in reality, if you go back and look at all the the old Haitiki that are through private collections or through museum collections, no two tikis are exactly the same. So they they've all had their own little unique characters. Um, even to try and tie down, you know, who the carver was at the time of those particular Haitikis is impossible because it was like you know. Um, it's very, very hard to spot one that is exactly the same. It was like each piece that was worked took on its own character. Sure, the, the basic um, proportions and stuff were there, but the person that was working it had their own sort of flavour, I suppose. It's not really the right word, but, you know, they, they actually put a part of themselves in each of those heitukis. So, so, you know, I know, yeah, it's... It's a funny one because what happens when you become a practising artist is that the environment will actually uh, dictate what you're carving. And like you said, heitiki are very, very popular at the moment. And so, you know, you'll be carving basically to what your, your market is demanding. Um, it wasn't always the case. Um, you know, I've sort of been carving um, stone now for probably around about... Um, oh, how, how old am I now? Yeah, probably solid for... Uh, getting close to 20 years, and so there was a period of time where um, I saw the the renaissance of the heitiki. So it would have been probably 15 years ago or 10 years ago there was a re renaissance of the heitiki form making a strong comeback. And whether or not that's through other organisations, like say for example New Zealand Post, sort of acknowledging the heitiki and then then starting to produce more materials of the old pieces as a starting point for people to draw their reference from. So whether or not these these, these corporate places that are actually bringing those items back out, uh, you know, there was a period of time like uh, Air New Zealand had a plastic heitiki, and that was kind of looked shunned upon, and then it sort of went out of favour, and then it sort of come back in, but with a different take, a more contemporary take particularly being done by contemporary Māori artists. So, you know, I suppose the flavour is OK now. It's sort of, um, you know, something a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one, though. You, you've, you've basically... The best way to keep things fresh is to um, meet new people, um, look around a little bit more, just see what sort of influences you or, or, or gives you a, an idea and then, you know, pretty much run with it. Has your position, Lois, changed in terms of how you see mass commercialisation? Uh, it's 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 a tricky one. Um, you know, we, we sort of talk about things of of, of culture being commercialised, but then you can look at another way, which is actually commerce being culturalised. So, in a in a sense, what you what you're kind of saying is now there are Maori people who are actually. Uh, using some of their their images and, and their designs and their creative process, and actually you know fitting within the commerce to basically keep producing new work. Um, it's, it is it is a, it is a tricky one. Um, you know some people find it very very difficult around the approach. My main one is if you're not if you're not selling your work or you're not actually getting some income for the work, then your productivity and your creativity stops because you can't afford to keep. 
exploring. And, and, and that's it in a nutshell. And um, that's a reality. That's a reality. And that's it in a nutshell too. If you're, not, if you're not working and you're not exploring, then you become stagnant. And that's, that's the borderline whether you become a, um, um, a craftsman or, or a manufacturing carver or whether you want to be an artist or somebody who's quite comfortable to explore, make mistakes, learn new things, um, you know, try different things and see whether it works or not. And if it doesn't, then, you know, that's great. That's part of learning. Kia ora, Lewis Gardner, North Te Arawa, Ngāti Awa. Now, there's plenty of ways to get your tiahi car fix uh, to podcast the show. Head to radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahi car. Head to Facebook, search tiahi car and click like. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Mariah Rakraku and this is tiahi car. We know him more as a showman and the man behind the Pātia Māori Club, yet Dalvanius Māori Prime, who died in 2002, was also involved in the repatriation of moko mokai, toimoko, or shrunken tattooed heads. The somewhat macabre practice of preserving human heads was very much in keeping with the Victorian preoccupation and fascination with death in all its guises. Combine that with a vigorous trading relationship with Māori and regularly used shipping routes, and the currency of mokomokai toimoko exploded. Two centuries later, and views towards the holding of human remains in public art collections has shifted. Which brings us to a few weeks ago when 20 mokomokai, toimoko, were returned to Te Papatongarewa from France as part of an exchange with the Rouen Museum of Natural History. Uh, so Te Hirikiki, uh, tell me about your, your role here at Te Papa. I'm the manager for the repatriation group. So the sole purpose of the repatriation, well, well our proper name is Karanga Aotearoa Repatriation Programme. So our sole purpose is, is, is to return the ancestral remains, Māori ancestral, our Māori and Māori ancestral remains that are overseas mm. in museums and institutions. And we request, um, or we invite those institutions to... Um, to repatriate those um, toimoko, um, the tattooed heads, and the kōiwi tangata, the skeletal remains, back to their ancestral home, back to New Zealand. So our purpose is to um, contact the institutions overseas. Um, if they do have um, toimoko or kōiwi tangata, we invite them to return them. We negotiate the process of returning them. And once they are returned back to um, Te Papa or Aotearoa, Te Waipaunamu, Fitiatiki Farikauri, then we um, negotiate with the, the respective iwi for them to go home. What now for Te Papa in terms of your team uh, and, and the Toimuko and the housed here at Te Papa in a vault? Yes, kei roto i Te Papa te erua ngā, ngā wahi tapu. So there are two sacred sites here? Ai, kotahi mo te Toimuko, so one for the Toimuko and one for the koiwitangata, the skeletal remains. So with the return of the 20 toimoko, we now have about 120, 324 toimoko that are at Te Papa. Some of them have been with um, the old museum, the Dominion Museum, the National, um, the National Museum of New Zealand, um, but many have been returned from overseas. So since 2003, since our programme has been established, we've returned... Um, now approximately over 200 ancestral remains, Māori and Moriori. Um, why I emphasise Māori and Moriori? Because mm. many, of the, many of the remains overseas were taken from the Chatham Islands and many of them are associated with the Moriori from the Chatham Islands. So although um, people overseas wanted you know, exotic remains of Māori, they also wanted the exotic remains of the Moriori. So it's quite important for the remains that... that have been taken from the Chathams um, to return to the Chathams as well. Do, are you directly involved in, 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 in seeing the toimoko and do you go into the, the, the wahi tapu when you can? Te Herikeke, oh, what, what, what does that feel like? Well, that's like? part of my role as manager. Um, we have three full-time workers in the programme, so we have a co coordinator and a researcher. Are they tāne, wahine? Um, one's wahine one okay. and two of us tāne. So we all have an active role in... Um, Going, preparing the, the toimoko and the koiwi tangata. So we re, when they come back, we do the registrations into um, Te Papa. So that's just keep making sure that we record them coming in and we, we know where they are. Uh, te Papa does not own the toimoko, so we, we're the kaitiaki mō ngā, mō ngā toimoko. Care guardians, yes, caretakers. So, 
So we look after them, but we have to make sure that we keep them to good, you know, according to good museum practice. So every time we we have a special place for them. Every time we go into the Wahi Tapu, we have karakia. Um, every time they come into, we do conservation reports to make sure that when they are returned um, from overseas and when they are retu eventually returned to the iwi around the country, they're they're kept in the best condition, and when they return, they're returned in the same condition that they arrived in. The good thing about working at Te Papa is that we also have a repatriation advisory panel of experts, so the tikanga experts, people like um, Pautemara, Professor Pautemara from um, Tuhoi, but he works at Waikato mm. University. We also have a fire Hokimoana Terika Hekerangi, so she's Tuhoi as well. But we also have people like Hami Piripi um, up north, and quite a number of other um, kaumātua and queer that really totoko our mahi support our work. And so they provide us with guidance as into best care, you know, looking after yourself, karakia, when we go in, when we come out. Um, in respect to um, handling the tūpuna, we have to make sure that uh, we handle them with care. So we do have gloves to ensure that um, they're kept in a safe condition. We don't damage them because you don't, you know, after bringing them back, after being overseas <laughs> yeah, for 200 yeah, years yeah, and then yeah, bringing yeah. them back, yeah. a long travel from overseas, we want to keep them in the best care. So it's, it's temperature controlled, um, the room. Um, they're kept in their own um, um, cardboard um, cases and um, they're very seldom tampered with. So the only time we go in is to take new tupuna in. Um, and oh. also if we have to do further research, the conservation checks. Um, so we get a lot of guidance from our expert panel, and that's to be expected. And, you know, e mohiwana tātou he tino tapu te upoko, mm, so aye. they're very sacred objects. Yes. And so we do need that special guidance from our kaumātua and our queer. Mm. Um, in respect to, you know, what's my personal feelings about, you know, going in, and I, I say it as every time I go in, we go and meet the tūpuna. Because you know that's that's how we as Māori view view them, and um, I always I always rely on my um, my whakapapa comes from many iwi, so I know that I'm connected to some of them no matter what. And so to me they're they're my tupuna, and I have to respect them. Kia ora, kia ora. Uh, Further on from that uh, identification and, and and wondering you know, um, nor here where these upa are tuimoko from how. Um, how do you foresee that uh, process? The research that we're going to undertake is, is multi-layered, so there's mm. many streams of research. One stream is the um, um, Review New Zealand um, history, Māori oral history. Mm. And so the period that they left New Zealand was between, the first one um, was traded in 1770, and that was the top of the South Island. That, that was the time of Captain Cook. So that's associated with Captain Cook's voyage. So there's good evidence, good recording of that. But where that tūpuna went to, we tried to track where that tūpuna went to. And the funny thing about um, Cook's voyages is that um, because they're well-known voyages and because artefacts associated with Cook's voyages, they have a lot of mana associated with them, that we're finding there's a lot of toimoko have turned up that, that, have, that say that they're associated with um, Captain Cook, but we realise that not all of them can be. So, right. so we have to decipher which ones are associated, are associated and which ones aren't. So that's a lot of work. We also looked into a museum... Apparently there was a muse the Hunterian Museum in London where um, potentially Captain Cook's, the, the toimoko associated with Captain Cook's um, voyage were kept. Um, we did a lot of research into what happened to those toimoko there. We found out that um, due to bombings in World War II, a lot of the collection in that museum was destroyed right. and possibly um, the toimoko as well. So that's come oh. to, you know, well, well, possibly those toimoko don't exist anymore. Okay. So, but we're still undertaking the research. What we do is that we look at the historical research. We look at the battles that occurred between, between Māori, um, between 1770 and up to the 1840s, um, because some of the heads were taken from these battles. So the, the heads of rangatira, heads of um, warriors that were taken... Um, mummified and then traded by by our own people to um, 
to explorers that would come, to collectors, European collectors that would come, and then they would be, they would make their travels overseas. Is there any information that comes along with the toy moko from the from France? Yes, that's the accession information. Right, so yeah. with the the twenty that have returned um, from overseas, we may have information um, relating to f at least five of them. And so what we do know is that in 1824, um, three toy were collected by a gentleman on a ship, um, a French vessel that went into the Bay of Islands. On the 5th of April, he collected three toy that were taken to France. We know that two, um, at least two of those have returned through this repatriation. However, um, all we, from that we know that they were traded from the Bay of Islands. So that they does, doesn't that, mean that, that they, they come from the no, Bay of Islands. because as we know, our people wouldn't trade our own. We would trade the enemy, right. <laughs> most likely, because the upoko is sacred, the, the toimoko is sacred. I'm, I'm working, working from the perspective that uh, Ngāpuhi didn't trade their own, they traded other people's heads. Okay. So there were two iwi up in the, around the Bay of Islands at that time, so there's Ngāpuhi and there's Ngāre Raumati. And um, so they most likely traded other people's heads. So what I've done is I've looked at the six months of battles that where Ngāpuhi and Ngāre Raumati went to um, prior to April um, 1824. And so we do know that um, for a period, Ngāpuhi went down to Rotorua, Te Arawa. Mm. They went down to Whakatane, and they may have... They went down to the Bay of Plenty um, and around Tauranga also. So these heads may be associated with those areas. But So that's the historical research. Right. The other research um, that we may be able to do in the future is more scientific research. So that's isotopic research. So looking at um, water content and maybe in the water, head, wow. and also the teeth enamel research. So that's looking at mineral particles within teeth enamel. And so what you do with that sort of type of research is you take a sample and you identify where the mineral or the water may come from, which part of the country that it may come from. But a CSI action going yeah. there, eh? Wow. And so there's also DNA testing that possibly can be done in the future. And so that's taking a sample of DNA and... But for that to be, um, I suppose, for that to actually be helpful, you actually have to have samples of different iwi. And so you mm. have to go through the process of iwi agreeing for, for samples to be taken. But for the example of um, the, the two toimoko that have come back from France, traded through the Bay of Islands on, in April 1824, because we know that Ngāpuhi and Ngāre Raumati went to round to the Bay of Plenty, Tauranga Bay of Plenty, Te Arawa. It might be, it might be appropriate to take samples of those iwi around there to see if there's some sort of match. And that's something we'll be following closely. Kia ora, te here keke, herewini no Ngāti Tuwhare Toa, Ngāti Apa. Once every few weeks, Taraya Marae and Pakipaki Hastings host a podiatrist offering services to whānau feet. Yep, I managed to squeeze in there and you heard that uh, it all last year. So after yarning with the whānau on the maho of the whare, I then got an impromptu tour of the inside. Ngā marae o te motu. It's 112 years old when we did it up in 1982. And we raised it from the ground because we had to put concrete blocks underneath it because it had a dirt floor. Yes. And, and people lived in here. That's I can why, see that. That's, I can see by that, the size. That, that's why, you know, we don't have any tapu things here. We can eat food inside and all that because it, people lived in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's another homestead. Yeah, yeah, there's to be a kitchen place. There's be there's to live here. Mm -hmm. They used to sleep in there, the karakares, and they used to cook. There's to be another little place there, culture mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So what's that building next door to us? So what's the hapu here? Nati Hoto. Oh, Gee, the tiny little doorways, eh? Well, <laughs> and windows. That used to that used to be um, thing. We couldn't. And um, when the historic when we the across the historic places trust had a lot to do with this, 
And when we said, oh, can we make the door bigger? They said, no, that's part of the whare. That's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Come inside. They did have a look inside. So we are just bending down to enter the fuddy. Oh gosh, this is lovely. Uh, now, from that second thing across to here, from the second popo, is no, it's all the original. Oh, it's, from the second heke. Yep, yep, yep. That's all the original. And when we did it it's up, it's been added on this bit coming yep, towards no, the front. No, no, no. From here, okay, across to that side is all the original toy toy. Yes, because the um, but the, you see this this piece here, it's all new. Hmm. I see. So what's uh, what did you, what would you think the size of that is? How many people can sleep in here, Jan? Ah, uh, sixty comfortably. Gosh, it's so lovely. Yeah, yeah. This here was a was it, when it was original. See how it's on the ground. This is one of the aunties. Mm-hmm. From here, and see how it was originally on the ground. Yes, of course. With the health regulations, we had to put it up. But I'm guessing it was also been subjected to moisture and things over That's the right. years, so yeah, it was slowly yeah. rotting. The floor no, was it wasn't. Rotting. All these things are, are the originals. All the timber in here are the originals. Wow! But you see, it was painted. That ready colour. Yes. People that came in here painted it. Yes. And when the Historic Places Trust, Jack Fry was here, and when they did it all up, they scraped the paint back, and these were the colours. And these are Tainui colours. So that's the cream and the green. Yep, yep. And the person that gave this land for this marae was Tom, my husband's grandmother. And what's her, her name? Her, her mother, Waihadakiki Horni Rotahi. Gosh, she looks a grand old age, that, yeah, that yeah. queer there. How old is she there? Oh, she's dead now, but she was all... May, how old was Auntie when she died? See, she bought... This is, uh, this is May's brother. And what's his name? Picky, Picky Kenrick. And they, she bought them up. And what was her name? Rakapa, Rakapa Atarea. But she came from Tainui. She she was sent down here by Tom's grandmother to look after the the land and and all that. Mm-mm. You know how the old Maori used to. <laughs> yeah. And this is Picky's father. And what's his name? Jimmy Kenrick. Mm. And that's his sisters. Mm. But you see, when we put this in, there was only little windows. So what you're doing is you're pointing towards the back of the whare now. And and we we. We had to put in big windows yes. because we had to have a fire escape. What was in there before? Just little windows. Okay. So with the windows that size, but we thought, oh, well, we'll just put those sort of windows. And Auntie Goosey that used to live in here, <laughs> she said, how do I get out there? I said, we'll just push you out, Aunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so the time, it's, it's around about quarter to ten at the moment, and it's quite cool in here. Yeah. So I'm guessing that when people are in here, it's very, very warm. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah. Yes. And what's over on the other side? I can see a photograph of... Uh... Auntie Rakapa's sister. Yes. Oh, and what was her name? And this is my husband. Oh, what was your husband's name? Tami Horni Mangere. And he passed away about 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's the Hornies. That's my Horni and his wife. Oh, yeah. And and this is the Huni family. This used to be up in the old house that was next to the school. Gosh, so this is in quite. This is a photograph of five children. It's in quite an ornate frame. They're dressed in very very formally. Three boys, and then seated in front of them, 
Are these their sisters? Yep, yep, two girls. And they're dressed very formally as well. Do you know what the occasion was, Jean? I would say it's just a, fa- a photo. Gosh, look how solemn those kids yep. look. <laughs> what do they look about? And, and that is Auntie Rakapa's husband. And what was his name? We used to call him Captain. Um, <laughs> well, Captain's in his army <laughs> uniform. Oh, God, what was his name? Oh, you can't remember. Yeah, just a thing moment. So this here is the original. That sound work that I'm making here uh, is the heke going up to the tahuhu of the inside of the whare They aligned with, what is that? Is that ropo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ropo, which is a type of harekeke, or the way in which the harekeke turns after an ageing kind of process and it's gosh it's yeah thanks for letting me do this to you funny (laughs) but you see those when we had the the p we did this up under a pp scheme sure and and when we had the pp scheme they weren't quite as thing because i was the (laughs) person that was supposed to be looking after it but you know some of them cut them short and yeah, but never mind, we'll fix it all up. Now, Jan, I've come here today, and I'm not sure if you read an article that was in a newspaper not so long ago about how marae, you know, they're not being used, uh, so they're becoming more into disuse. So in terms of whakaaro Māori, it's almost like they're... The ember is slowly, slowly um, being ex- extinguished. Well, now, I've come here today... There are five wahine here. Mm-hmm. There's a podiatrist, so and you use this on a regular basis. Where are the men? We haven't got any. Umate. Aye, we killed them all off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, women, in Kahanunu, you'll find that women are stronger than the men. Very, very few men to sit on our pie. Mm. Yeah. We're actually, we're training up a lot of young, younger ones, you know, but they're a bit... They get a bit whakama. Aye, a bit whakama to come forward. Yeah. Now, my next question is, how did a Pākehā girl end up over here, eh, Jan? Well, I married that handsome man over there. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> and, and, of course, when I came here... Where did you come from? I originally come from Wanganui, but my parents lived here, mm. and I... Came from a very, very thing marriage. Uh, and, and I just brought my kids and we came over here to my mother and my mother and father. And um, I'm, I'm, well, I had a friend that came, also came from Wong and she said, I want you to come and meet somebody. And that was Tom. Yeah, so he said to me the first day I met him, I'm going to marry you. And I thought, oh, God, no. <laughs> I just come from a thing marriage and I wasn't going to marry anybody. How many how many kids did you have? I haven't got any to him. No, how many kids did you have when you came? I had two girls. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. One was 15 and the other was five. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and happily ever after. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> but when I came here... I thought, oh, God, the only Pākehā in this community. What am I going to do? But the, the old queers took me under their... their um, I looked after yeah, you. Yeah, they looked after me. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I had a very... Oh, even Lily's mum, who... No, uh, Auntie Taha, she was great. Yeah, yeah. And Auntie Mihiro, you know, from... Uh, from um, yeah. From so they the, never made you feel funny about being Pākehā? No, 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 no. Mm, mm. No, I, I've never ever thought, you know, Gemma Pakia, what am I doing in this community? You know, I, 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 look, the colour of the skin doesn't matter. It's what's in here. Aye. Jen's pointing towards her heart. That's another one of the hornies. And that's a girl, Southern. She had the tangi. We had a tangi here for her. So when's the last time you had a tangi in this whare? 
Mm, about four or five years ago. Okay. Mm. Oh. Yeah, your head. Yes, we are now stooping to go out again. <laughs> Ngā marae o te motu. Nei rā te mihi ki a koe Janice Māngere me te whānau a tāraia. To listen to this kōrero and today's show, you can head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. And if you look to the left column of the page, you'll also find an archive of previous te ahika episodes. Anaira a te herekeke herewini with this week's Whakatauki. Tetehi Whakatauki e pāna ki tēnei kaupapa, tukuna mai he, he kapunga oneone hei tangi. Please give me a piece of soil from my homeland so that I might cry over it. And apparently it's a whakatauki that's associated with a, a kaumātua that was taken from Te Arawa, but he was imprisoned in Tuhoi country, and he would look from his prison to his homeland, and, and his, he knew that his time of passing was near, and he would, he would ask for a piece of soil from his, his own homeland so that he may cry over it. Tēnā koe, tēnā koutou, uh, koutou e whakarongo mai nei, ko a hau ko te hereke ki Hiruini, i tipu au ki te pāo rātana, ko taku um, ko oku whānau ano, te awa wanganui, me te maunga taranaki, me tūwhare toa, me ngā puhi hoki, uh, me te arawa hoki. Nō reira, i ngā mana, i ngā reo, i ngā karangaranga tango te motu, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā no tātou katoa. That's the Ahika for another week. Next week I find out more about a Māori delegation heading off to India to attend the fourth international conference of the elders of ancient traditions and cultures. Kiki, kiki. And I visit Māori Postal in Whanganui. They are the crew that send out those calendars, books, scripture all over the place. He mihi tēnā ki nā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atui tērā ki nga kai rā wiki wiki mihini ngā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā wiki mai te whanua te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora. <laughs>